God bless you and welcome to Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast. We appreciate and welcome all of you, our listeners around the world. Stay tuned to hear an exciting word from pastor teacher, Dr. James Sutton. Psalm 19, starting at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, and we rejoice in the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean enlightening forever. The rules of the Lord are true and are righteous altogether. Greatly more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Also, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. By keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his error or declare me innocent from hidden faults? O Lord, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of all great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now we begin the second half of the Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. And now we have a big change. We go from exalting and declaring and admiring and appreciating God is his creation. And now David switches to admiring God in his law. So we have the law of creation, and now we have the moral law. What David is trying to convey is that all things that come from God are righteous and holy. And therefore, the law itself is holy, even though we are not. I'm going to say that again. The law is holy even though we are not. And once the law is revealed to us, it doesn't save us as the Jews thought it would. All it did was expose their inability to keep the law and therefore needing a savior. The problem with the law is not the law itself because God declares it to be righteous and good. The problem with the law is our inability to keep it and therefore, it causes conflict in our conscience to those who are human. We can't, again, begin to think of what it would be like to not have law. The reason why we have all these laws on the books in our civil government is because man does not want to be accountable. Man doesn't want to be held responsible. So the laws are created to govern man, 
the law was created for the lawless, that it may point out to them that they are falling short every day. But the answer to the moral law is not in our ability to be able to do religious rituals and activities, but to understand that we can't and we need a savior who could so that we may be hid in him, we may live in him, and we may live through him, and he may live out his life in us, an upright, just person. We are not righteous again by our own righteousness, but our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. Romans 7 and 12 tells us that the law itself is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Again, Paul is drawing from the fact that everything that comes from God is good and it's good for what? Converting the soul. The Hebrew word is meshlabah. And that's the only Hebrew word I'm going to give you today. It's M-E-S-H-I-L-B-A-H. Mesh ilba, and it primarily gives us a picture of restoring something that is in disorder or decay. You think about it, you look at uh, Psalms 80 18, it talks about that restoring from sorrow and affliction. Also, uh, Ruth 4 15 and 1 Kings 17 21, it gives us a picture of restoring that which is decaying and dying. The law tells us that we are dying, that we can't keep it. But then what we do is in turn look for our salvation. So the law is holy in that it's good and it's perfect and it's righteous, but also it points out the fact that we can't keep it and therefore we look to God to give us the answer and we know that the answer comes in Jesus Christ. See, David saw the beauty of the law of creation. He saw the beauty of the law of God, and he was awaiting for the law to be revealed in Christ. We have all three. David just had two components. He understood by his writings that the Lord was the great lawgiver. He understood by creation that the Lord was was awesome in his demonstration and manifestation of things in creation of his existence. But we needed a deliverer, a permanent one, not ones of not one of rituals and, 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 and religious tradition, but the shadow that was in David's time became a reality with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the perfect law keeper for us. And the way we are adopted in is by believing in him and not performing for him. Believing in him, not performing for him, but performing good works because we appreciate and respect the creative law, the moral law, and the salvific law in Jesus. We even notice the preciousness of the law to God when he put it in the ark and all the meticulous things that uh, the ways that he did with uh Placing on the lark in Exodus 25, 16, uh, Exodus 25, 21, Exodus 25 and 22. The meticulous way God secured the law inside of the ark to the point that human hands could not touch it. You remember a story about the servant who tried to stop the ark from falling to the ground as if the creation itself 
was unholy and that he was righteous enough or self-righteous enough to prevent and sub uh, and uh, subvert God's law when God gave an explicit direction. Do not touch this ark. He gave how it should be carried. He gave how it should be dealt with. And it was David's fault because, yes, it was good that he wanted to retrieve the ark that was gone and stolen. But it also God did not change in his way the ark should be carried. And therefore, we see this moral law. God does not change his moral law because of human community, human consciousness, and especially culture. For some reason or another, what we've done in society today is we believe the moral law has no more dominion on us because we have free will. Well, mankind has always had free will, just like David sent men to go retrieve the ark. He caused the man to die because that man thought again that hitting the ground was more of a sin than him touching it. We get confused as saints because of some teachings that because we're under grace and mercy, the moral law has no more uh, dominion over us. But it does, because every time we don't uh, follow Christ's instructions as far as what he's given us as the church, we are violating his law. And therefore, the law points us back to the Savior. We need a savior so bad because we are lawbreakers still. We need grace because if we didn't have the merit of God and the mercies of God, we could not stand before or with God. And that's why we appreciate Jesus. It's because of the holiness of the law that drives us into the arms of Jesus and his salvation that he offers as a restraint from that law. But David, again, he practiced the rituals. He was considered uprighteous because of it. But even he knew there was something more than the physicality, the rituals, the traditions that they do in church or in the synagogue, which were simply a shadow to come. And once the reality and the manifestations of the shadow came, which was Jesus, that which cast the shadow, then we begin to worship in a way that we've never worshiped before. We now can fully experience what I talked about earlier. The law of creation, which is good, the law of God, his moral law, which is good. And now the law fulfillment in Jesus, which is our salvation. So the law is good. And it is holy. And if it could be. Now watch this, if it could be adhered to, it could change the soul. But we could not do it. Jesus was our law keeper. And we rest by faith in the fact that he kept the law perfectly. And now we are adopted into the family because we believe that with the last sacrifice, which was his own blood and believing in that, it will cleanse us from all the sin that the law condemns us of. The law is also considered a testimony that can be trusted and is sure. And we see this also in Psalms 119 and 2, where it tells us, blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart. 
So the law itself, the written law, the words of God. Now we have to go expand our thinking behind what is the consider the law. Everything that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, that inspired word, is considered some sort of law. Or let's even do better, expand it to testimony. So blessed are those who keep his testimony, who follow his word, who meditates on it, what, day and night. If you look at Psalms uh, 119 and 24, it says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Your testimonies, they are my delight. They are my counselors. God's word is to counsel you. We see that in when we uh, read about what the word of God's purpose is to give us instruction, correction, reproof, reproof, excuse me, reproof to make us fit to carry out the things of God. You can only carry out the assignments of God through the inspired word of God, fueled and powered by the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit and not have God's word. And you can't have God's word without the Holy Spirit. Everything works together and they agree. Everything works together and they agree. All things work together for the good, especially his testimonies, his law and his rules. So we have to really mature ourselves in understanding. Grace does not give us uh, the free for all to do what we want to do. But grace gives us an opportunity to get into his word and to understand that his word is true and is sure and can be trusted. That understanding and living out his word in our character and our day to day activity will also mature us and convert us continuously into being like Christ. One of the biggest part of your sanctification process is, is how the word is lived out in you. The testimony of God himself through his word. We see the law as being perfect. And now we see the law as being pure in verse eight. And the purity of the law can be observed by those who are godly. For us, it's those who are hidden in Christ Jesus. For, for David's time, it was one that did the what the Lord wanted them to do. The law is a burden to the ungodly, but the law is a blessing to those, the precepts. So now we have the word precepts, which describes God's word is a blessing to those who pay attention to it, those who follow it. And those again, who meditate and pray, uh, pray on it and pray upon it. Meaning that the best prayers are prayers that come out and are fueled by the spirit of God's words. When we pray God's words back to him, it says that his words will not come back void. When we preach his word, his word will not come back void. All preachers are supposed to do is preach his word, expound upon his word and interpret his word and give that word, which is the bread of life to the congregation. So we see now in verse eight, we see that the law not only is righteous, the law is pure and the law is a great thing to obtain for those that are godly. It is not, again, a burden. It's only a burden to those who ignore it. So it goes from being the law to a testimony 
to simply the statutes. And we rejoice in our hearts that God has condescended himself to give us his word. We not we shouldn't think uh, more highly than us of ourselves than we should. We should humble ourselves not only before the mighty hand of God, but also the mighty word of God. The word of God is part of his hand. He hands out his precepts, his statutes, his rules, his way of life to us through his hands. And it only becomes burdensome when that which he gives us exposes the fact that we are not willing or able to keep it. But the answer to that again, the scriptures always pointing forward at this point to the Christ to come. So for those who are living godly lives, we look forward. Old things have passed away. So the necessity, now I want you to get this, the necessity for the moral law is not as great as the necessity for salvation in Christ who kept the moral law. Also, we find in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect and it gives light to the intellect. All intellect is dark in comparison to the light of the word of God. If you want to be smart, if you want to be intelligent, if you want to have something to say, it's in light and through the light of the word of God. We cannot speak intelligently without understanding and interpreting the word of God to give to God's people. So it's in the darkness of our mind that the light, the intelligence of God shines through, rearranges things. And then out of that changed heart, that renewed mind, the light of God, the mouth speaks. So when God's word comes into your heart, it also does a process of renewing your mind, which is part of the sanctification process, the changing you into the image of Christ. Let this mind also be in you that's in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did Christ Jesus have? He had a mind of light. He had a mind of light. And we walk in that light, in the intelligence of God. When you think of light, you think of exposure. You think of being able to see. You think of, of being able to, to, to witness the law of the Lord, the word of God, the precepts of God, all that this Bible holds is one book of light and the light bearer and its, its origin is from God. And now we bear this light and witness the light to the world. So we go from the creation and its light. Now we go to the precepts and the laws of God and its light. It's pure, it's perfect, it's illuminating, and it's the light unto the world. And not only do we know it's light, it is also food and it's also water for those who thirst. The word is whatever is needed for the sin-sick soul to get saved. If you're in darkness, you need light. If you're hungry, you need bread. If you're thirsty, you need water. And all of that, that that we say we need is encompassed in Jesus. You can't get away from the shadow 
that this shows us to the light that Jesus becomes. It's manifested. That's what this is. The word of God is the light and the intellect of the father displayed, manifested, lived out and purposed in his son. And now for those who believe it has now been purposed and assigned to you. You have to ask yourself the question, are you a light bearer or a darkness carrier? Are you a light bearer or a darkness carrier? Do you have a disposition of criticism and bad attitude, which is darkness to show, to, to hide your ignorance? Or do you bear light and are gracious and merciful and long suffering and peaceable to all mankind? Do you look forward? Your normal disposition when you're challenged is to go negative versus trying to see what the person is talking about. You try to defend your darkness versus letting the light expose your darkness so that you can change. Now, verse nine is quite fascinating because it says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So is it clean as if like when we clean a window? And is this fear one that is like being in danger. So if we look at this on the surface, we'll miss it because we go from what we understand, the pure and, and those adjectives of the word of God to now it says the fear of this Lord who produces this word is clean and endures forever. The fear of the Lord. So this is not your normal garden variety fear. But through the instruction of God's word, we have an internal respect, reverence for the word of God, God. And we understand it cleanses. And the cleansing power of God for those who believe endures forever. And then we do have those who don't believe and that fear is internal also. It's not external. That fear does not change the fact that they are lawbreakers. That irreverent person does not change the cleanness and the enduring word of God. His word will last forever. And it is pure. It is clean. It is righteous. It is holy. And it's to be reverenced, it's to be respected, it's to be acknowledged, it's to be, ad it's to be adhered to. As much as you can be obedient to it under the power of the Holy Spirit and the precepts of Jesus. They had rituals. You have the rights of Christ. They had the law and all his statutes to adhere to. You have the fulfillment of all those laws in Christ Jesus that you believe upon. And it leads you to the royal law of treating people as your neighbor and treating people good and never doing wrong by them. And when you don't do wrong by them, you don't do wrong by yourself. So you respect God's word because it is clean 
and it's good for cleaning the soul. Like Paul said, I didn't know that I was really a sinner until I read the law and it said, thou shall not covet. And then I was dead at that point. See, the law is so clean that any wrinkle, any spot, any sin, any dirt in your life, if you allow the Lord, the word of God to wipe it down, it will deal with it. And then when you come to the conclusion, oh, what a wretched man that I am who can save me. Then you go to the next part. It's in Christ Jesus. The lawgiver is where we find our salvation and we find our peace and we find our comfort in this time of calamity. We will spend a lot of time in our natural thinking. Think about this world, but God is trying to get you to understand. It makes no difference what happens in the four walls of your life, North, South, East, and West. What makes a difference what's happening in the center of your life, where he dwells, your heart, your soul, and your mind. Your heart, your soul, and your mind doesn't take a geographical location in your body. It's all of you, who you are. And God wants you to understand it's an inside out job. It's him living out his life, his will through you and you making a conscious decision to submit. There's two kinds of will of God. Passive and active. Active means he has the prerogative and the providence to come and do what he wills with his subjects, with her, which is you. And then there's a passive will of God that God really prefers to act in under grace and mercy to allow you to see and come to conclusion first by nature, then by his statutes, his rules, his law, and then by his sacrifice of his son. Again, David's position at the time was incomplete. Ours is complete. So I have another question. What is our problem? And you know, that's a rhetorical question that I ask all the time. But when you level yourself up against the word of God, it still runs you to Jesus. It still runs you to this, that perfect, pure, loving, correcting, uh, exposing, enlightening word runs us to Christ. And you have to think about that. Does the word turn you to Christ or does the word make you prideful? Because there are a lot of Christians who become prideful in the word, which means they have a misinterpretation of it. They become arrogant, arrogant in their ignorance and begin to think really they're better than other people. And then my question to some of them as they spew out their arrogance is how well do you serve the people that are forgotten? How well are you willing to serve someone who is not a Christian? How well are you willing to serve and to 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 relinquish your royalty so that somebody else can see the Christ in you? Are you willing to give them a cup of water? Are you really willing to give your enemy what they need so they can live? In if you had a choice, whether to destroy your enemy or to let them live, which one would you choose? And before you answer that in your heart, think about what Jesus did. And the answer should be plain. He gave salvation to the sinners. He gave salvation, a possibility to one who destroyed him. He gave salvation to Paul who wanted to kill his children. 
what are you willing to offer up that someone might be saved? Verse 10 tells us the desirability of the word of God. He uses something that is valued, which is gold. And then he uses something that is valued that we taste. And we have gold, fine gold, and that's mentioned in Job. And then we have also honey and the honeycomb. If you've ever had fresh honey, which I've had on my grandfather's farm, there's a building that's dilapidated. And what the bees did was on, on the west side of the building, just imagine a 900 square foot house. There is the wall and in between the wall and the siding, the bees have set up their camp. There's a, I mean, it's a huge honeycomb. You can only notice it as you get closer, you hear the bees, but every year honey drips from it. And uh, my cousins and aunts, they harvest it and give it away, sell it. But if you ever got a chance to taste a honeycomb, it's actually sweeter than the honey itself, the processed honey itself, just raw honey. And it's so sweet and it's so pure. And believe it or not, saints, it's very clear. It's not this brown stuff that we get. It's very clear and translucent and it's really just golden and beautiful. So it's more desirable than gold than the gold and it tastes better than the honey, the honey from a honeycomb. So we have a visual, we have those that would understand the tasting. And see, there's a visual to the honeycomb because the honeycomb is goldish in color. So it's more precious than the precious metal and it's more favorable than that which tastes sweet and good. The word of God is sweet and good and it's to be tasted Taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, we taste the seed that the Lord is good first through creation, then through his word, and then in Jesus Christ. Amen. We surely do. And as we know, we know that in obeying what is pure, what is righteous, what is God's testimony, what is clear, and what is good, being obedient in God's economy, there is always a reward. Now, you can't decide what the reward would be with God. And there's another thing that saints do. You think, okay, I was obedient here and I should be rewarded here the way I want it to be. But so many times at Walking Truth, what we've experienced is we were obedient in one direction. And what God said is what you want is too small. I'm going to reward you in another direction of which you need. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes God's reward you right where you want to get rewarded. But I've my experience with God and a lot of things I've seen in walking truth is you will be obedient on the right. And you're looking for your reward on the right. But God has the prerogative to reward you anywhere between the right and the left, east, west, north, south. And what God does is reward you because of your obedience, where you need it and will acknowledge him and appreciate it the most. Sometimes 
I find saints calling on God as if he's their magic genie. Where if I be obedient, see, see even, even obedience could be practiced like a witchcraft. Because what you do is you're saying, I'll do this, God, and now I want you to do this. Or I'll do this and you'll get bold enough almost and it'll come out in your speech that you decree and declare that if you do this, God has to do this. That's dangerous territory. Because God has to do what he wills. He's a gracious, loving father that re re will reward obedience. But he has no obligation to reward obedience that will make you prideful, make you haughty and make you disrespect his children and himself. That's why he determines where the reward is so he can get the glory for your good. So you won't walk around talking about you have some connection to God that nobody else has because you've been obedient. See, even the fact we can be obedient is a trap if it's not understood in maturity in light of scriptures, in light of his law, in light of his precepts, in light of his humility. See, when Jesus came down, he condescended himself and became man. And he was a humble man because he was God. And in his humility, he sacrificed himself for us. And so therefore we live out a life of humility, sacrifice, long suffering, the fruit of the spirit, patience, kindness, love. And we get all of that through the scriptures, especially in Psalm 19, where we can see the contrast and the beauty between the natural law, the natural law of nature and the moral law of his word, his precepts and his testimony. Now verses 12 through 14, in consideration to all that we've read, we have to be concerned as David is concerned about transgressions. Transgressions of the natural law and transgressions of the moral law. That the law and the precepts of God exposes. Because man had not new law, not new sin, but by the law, Romans 7, 7. He cannot, he did not know it. We did not know what sin was without the law. Paul even said, when the law came, I died. Because without the law, he didn't know any sin. Hmm. And we cannot do all good things. You know, I'm just thinking. When he goes into this last part of letting the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart be acceptable. Think about what he's assuming. He's asking God to look past what he may fall short on and accept his attempt to come to him in spirit and in truth. What he, what he's doing is he's saying, God, even with me understanding and putting this on paper and saying these things to you, I still fall short of holiness. And so do we. We are not righteous and holy in our own sight. We are righteous and holy in the justifier Christ Jesus. And every word that proceeds out of our mouth is flawed in a way that it does not 
represent pure holiness unless it's the word of God. Even when we expound upon the word of God, it falls short of the majesty, the magnificence, the clarity and the understanding that is in it. Because of these flesh suits and these flesh minds, it twists the goodness. And that's the war that Paul talks about that goes on inside of him. The things that he would do, he does not. And things that he would not want to do, he does. And he's trying to figure out, well, if I have obtained this, this, this Holy Spirit, why am I struggling? You're struggling because you have a choice. You're a free moral agent. And thus there is sin that still dwells within you. The fact that you could feel hot and cold allows sin to creep in. The fact that you can be hungry or thirsty allows sin to creep in. You say, well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Could you imagine yourself being so hungry that you'll go steal? Can you imagine you being so thirsty that you would go and drink from somebody else's fountain? Can you imagine being so cold that if you had the opportunity to steal a coat that you would? Can you imagine being so fearful that you would take somebody else's life? Because we are still in this suit of feeling, our feelings deceive us and cause us most of the time to break the law. So in this lesson, we see the beauty of the natural law. We see the beauty and the challenge of the precepts and the law of God. But each one is to lead us to the creator. The latter is to lead us to Christ. And David hoped for, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament prophets looked for this time, prayed for this time, this deliverer that will come after David. And now we can look back and see the hope in creation, the hope in the word of God, which is the law, the precepts and the testimony of God through the Bible. And we all can see through the testimony of the word of God, the hope in Christ Jesus, which lies in us. So we see the beauty, but the challenge is how do you relate to the law that should run you into the hands of God? The goodness, the purity, the cleanness of the law should take you right into the arms of Christ because only through him and in him and because of him can you be saved from what the law brings about its justice, which is also holy. The justice of God is just as holy as his mercy and his grace and it will be fulfilled so whether you believe or not believe or to your level of belief you will be accountable for the light that's been given to you and not the light that you want but the light that's been given to you so now I'm going to open up the floor for conversation and I want to start off by asking the question that anybody can answer. What do you do with the word of God in relationship to your life and how you live? And before you answer that, I want you to think hard. Do you ignore it 90 percent of the time or what's the percentage you think that you actually pay attention to the precepts of God and you actually try to yield to it because he said my word is spirit. And do what the word asks us to do 
and not let it be a burden? Or is the word of God still a burden to you? That the sin is so strong in you that it becomes a burden to you. And the burden comes out in many different ways. Most of the time with saints, it comes out in the burden of you want more, but you can't seem to get it. And normally that is a blockage of some sin. Unrepentive, presumptuous, especially pride and arrogance. So how do you relate to the word of God? The floor is now open. I want to thank you again, saints of God, for coming along with us through the word of God on today. Our journey has been short and brief, but we look forward to continuing on with you in God's vineyard. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to contact us, please do so by emailing me at WITMIN at Yahoo.com or SUTTON968 at gmail.com. We always want you to be encouraged and be blessed and be at peace. And always remember, walk in truth. And thank you again for coming along on today's